Well, it is a great privilege to be with you tonight and uh, to see the ever-increasing circle. Uh, on Friday morning, it was a smaller number, and Friday night, it was a larger number, and tonight, it's a larger number still, and so I, I'm really anticipating tomorrow as well, just to... Uh, uh, it's great if we just relax from the word go away. If someone tells you, congregation, you know, guy's a prophet, you kind of think, oh, goodness, you know, eating the heads off locusts and coming with camel's hair. And nah, I don't do any of those things, but uh, the only weird thing about me is my birth, and I'm Irish. Okay, uh, Irish to the core. And you say, well, what on earth significance is that? Well, it is really, because um, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins, and uh, if whatever, you sin, whatever sin love cannot possibly cover, you knowing I'm Irish will cover the rest. You know, in other words, you can probably get away with anything once you, they know you're Irish. So uh, I find people relax a bit more and, and give me a lot more leeway when they know I'm Irish. Eh? So, um, but I, it's a great joy to be here because uh, over the last, uh, I guess, couple of weeks before coming, I really felt God stirring my heart about this church. And tomorrow morning I want to... Uh, share with you um, glimpses, pictures that God showed me about the time that is to come now upon the life of this church. And I think God showed me specific uh, areas that he was going to have this church move into. And uh, one of them in particular gripped my spirit, and I knew that God wanted me to highlight it. And so all the other meetings that I've had, uh, Friday morning, Friday night, tonight, and tomorrow night, have all been really building into one of the things that I want to share about tomorrow morning that God showed me because it leapt so uh, fiercely into my spirit. I knew that God wanted this people and I know nothing about you as a church. Uh, um, you know, as your pastor said, I saw him last 26 years ago, but really with a memory like mine, it may as well have been 400 years ago. All right. Uh, I don't remember what I did last year. Okay. My memory always gets me into trouble. Uh, in fact, I went to a town here in New Zealand some years ago, uh, um, Palmerston North, I think it was, uh, and, and um, the, the pastor, <laughs> the pastor um, met me and we, we took him to, he took me to his home. I lived in his house for a week, I had meetings all week, and I lived in his home for the week. Then about nine, ten, ten months later, something like that, a year later at the max, um, the phone goes and he says, look, we've got a really meeting. We've got one big meeting coming up okay, on my next Monday night. Can you just fly down for the meeting? Please, 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 please. Uh, just speak in the meeting. I said, okay. So I flew down. And, cut a long story short. He met, me at the, he met me at the airport and took me straight into the foyer of the building. As I walk into the foyer of the building, this woman comes up to me. And she started banging me on the arm and shaking my shoulder and shaking my hand and getting, oh, on, you know. And, and, and finally she let go of me and I pulled the plaster. I says, who's the woman? And he says, David, that's my wife. <laughs> she, she, she'd, kick my, she'd cook me breakfast for an entire week. <laughs> but she must have changed her hair or something. I, I don't know what it was. But... Uh, but uh, so, so um, it forever gets me into trouble relationally, but it's a blessing prophetically because I forget everything I ever see, all right? Um, anyway, so you didn't come for that tonight, but I, 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 it's good to relax together, isn't it? And tonight we just want Holy Spirit to speak to us. And uh, tonight I want to talk to you about a miracle, a well-known miracle in the Bible, but I want you listening with two sets of ears. I want you listening certainly with this ear and get the principles involved, but I want you listening with your inner heart. I want you saying, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Because the difference between I know how it is to teach, I love teaching, but, but I know when I speak as a prophet, you can say the same things, and yet they have an entirely different impact because the Holy Spirit is using them prophetically to speak to people. And so we just want everybody in this place to hear something from God that's going to change your life. Amen? And the Holy Spirit wants that. So if you want that and He wants that, then I think we can rightfully expect it to take place. Amen? And so... Um, Tonight, let's just uh, ask the Holy Spirit to do that. Father, we again acknowledge the wonderful joy, privilege, honor that it is to serve you, to love you, to worship you. 
And Father, tonight as the Holy Spirit has already been invited and, and already been honored, we, we honor Him again and say that the Holy Spirit be our prophet in the midst tonight. Speak and reveal the Father's heart, we pray. And Father, we be very careful to give you alone the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to go walk about for a second, um, just if I might. Um, you know, when I saw you um, bouncing around out here, I thought to myself, thank God he's on our side. Um, the, um, and, uh, but the Lord just spoke to me and said the power of influence. Uh, and that God was going to give you the power of influence, and it was your choice how you used it. Uh, that for the rest of your life, you will influence people. Uh, and uh, the older you get, the more people you'll influence. But how you influence them is your choice. And I believe that God said that he's, he's given you a very rare capacity in the years that lie ahead to turn people from a given path to his path. And if you'll be passionate for him, if you'll run for him, if you'll... In fact, I saw something else too. I saw you going into a, a program. To me, it must seem like a, like a discipleship program, like a training program, like an equipping program. It was certainly putting the armor on you, showing you how to use a sword. It's an equipping program. And God was going to take you through that and bring you to a point where he could make you one that would influence many to come back into the right path. Okay, and I want to say a word into your spirit. Many dead fish can float down a stream. It takes a live trout to go against the current. And you've got the energy. You've got the tenacity. You have to set your eyes upon the goal. You are not going to swim around with all those individuals who haven't got anything better to do than to waste their lives. But you're going to put your, hand, you're going to put your eyeballs on the goal, and you're going to pursue it. Sometimes that will mean very, very difficult decisions. So unpopular decisions, decisions that will get up the nose of your friends, but you make them, and you're pleasing the one that matters most. Praise the Lord. You know, there's, um, I, I, I really couldn't get over what I was seeing for you, um, the Rip Curl. Um, but away, probably because all prophecies should be judged, if I start talking to you, could you stand up? Only the reason for that being that the oversight can uh, see who I'm talking to. I looked across at you in the worship time, and I saw a can opener, and I thought, Lord, what on earth is this? And you're opening cans, um, and it was one of the old type, you know, where there's jagged edges, you know, and you just about rip your fingers on them and all that sort of stuff. And I believe that God is going to give you a unique ability to open up the lives of people that others don't want to touch because of the potential... Uh, yeah, the cost to opening that up. It was like um, some people you don't mind talking to because, you know, they're going to respond nicely and all that sort of thing. But I saw people that you were talking to that obviously weren't going to respond very nicely. But God was going to give you a, a quiet courage and a sincerity. Uh, the word came to me, sincerity, that was just going to open them up. Have you ever heard uh, the expression, you know, open up a can of beans? You know, you may not have, but there used to be an expression. And it means that, brother, what am I going to find when I get in here? People like that. But don't be put off by them. You're going to see some garbage when you start opening them up. But don't put off because they're watching how you're going to react. But when you don't react, when you just don't seem to care and just love them anyhow, just love them anyhow, and you'll be surprised at how many you'll begin to touch praise the Lord and you've got business solutions in you, you you've, you've got creative solutions for difficult problems but you're not going to find them with the training of your mind you're going to find them on your knees you're, you're in, the, in the secret place where it's locked away and a sheet of white paper and a pen the Holy Spirit will give you creative solutions to difficult problems. And it will give you favor, business solutions. But you're going to find them in the secret place. Don't go by what you've been taught. Don't go by what you've learned. Listen outside of the circle of your knowledge. And it's going to be amazing what things you hear. As you apply them, they'll be successful. Okay. Praise the Lord. Now, isn't it wonderful that... 
God never looks at us through the eyes of who we see ourselves to be. God looks at us through the eyes of divine potential because he knows exactly who he can make us to be. And my brother here, I don't know you, of course, but just so the eldership know who you are, what's your name? Morris. Morris, uh, you see, God, when God looks at us, he doesn't see us in the eyes of our childhood. He doesn't see us in the eyes of our past. He doesn't see us in the eyes of those who have rejected us so many times. But he sees us through the eyes of divine potential because he knows who he can make us to be. God's taking a new pen. And he's opening a new chapter. And he wants to know that every single conversation of pain, every time those words carved into your spirit, every moment of rejection, every memory that causes even now that anguish of spirit, God is going to redeem. Okay? It's, it's not all lost. And I tell you, my brother, you need to know tonight, because God spoke to me about you and he said that you're going to be a sweet thing in the eyes of God. And you're going to have a fragrance about your life. There's going to be a, a softness about your life. There's going to be a gentleness about your life. And it's going to cause you to be one that is uh, used by the Holy Spirit whenever there's a need for gentleness and, and a soft touch of the Holy Spirit upon someone's life. He's going to take the brokenness and he's going to redeem it. But you have to let him do that. You have to let him do that. Take the past. Take the past. I want to do that right now. In fact, everybody just extend your heart and your hand towards this brother. Because right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I cancel the power of the accuser. I cancel the power of the accuser. I cancel out the power of the accuser and the re rejection. Uh, and those lying suggestions in your mind that because of this and because of that you'll never really be anything of any great significance uh, you can't be like that you, you, what do you think you are thinking thoughts like that that's the lying accuser and God this night begins to write a new book of your life it's a fresh beginning this night Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, Remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old, for behold, now I do a new thing. Finally, God wants to say something very specific to you. He's your Father, and He's not like men of old. He's your Father, and this Father you can trust. This Father you can trust. You can, uh, you, you can be vulnerable with Him. For He'll only ever do you good. He loves you with an unconditional love and He accepts you with an unconditional acceptance. He feels nothing but His goodness towards you, my brother. Thank you, Father. Let your grace flow to my brother now, Father, in Jesus' lovely name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Father. I love you, Lord. You're... You're what? Doug and Joe. Doug and Joe. Oh, things are going to change for you too. Um, yeah, you know, you go to a fairground and it's all nice and great day off and all that sort of stuff and then somebody gets the idea of sticking you in a one of them things called a roller coaster and it's also real cool until it kind of comes up to the high point and then when it gets up to the high point, have you ever been on one? That kind of sickening moment where you feel it disconnect and suddenly you're on your own and, and it's off the end there, there's no steering wheel there's no brakes uh, you just got to trust that track really really trust that track 
God, God's going to take you a little bit of a roller coaster ride, okay? And He's going to take you completely out of your comfort zone. And He wants you to know that you can trust Him. He'll never ask you to do anything He won't empower you to do. But He's bringing people to you. He's going to bring people to you. And isn't it wonderful, by the way, how God puts opposites together? Have you ever thought about that? Yeah. Um, and you're going to love them. You're going you're gonna to pat them on the back, and you're going to say, it's all right, it's all right, all right, all right. All right. And, and she just dragging you aside and sh- saying, well, of course it's all right, but we're going to have to deal with this, and we're going to have to deal with that, and you have to deal with this one too, okay? And, and you're saying, well, yeah, well, we've got to go. And both are necessary. And God's going to see transformation of people's lives take place. You two need to specifically target times of praying together. You need to, just like you join hands right now, you need to do that. You need to pray together. And you need to pray for people. You need to intercede for people. You know, broken people, needy people. Just begin to pray for them. And then as you intercede for them, God will bring them to you and you'll minister life to them together. Okay. Praise the Lord. Well, isn't Jesus wonderful? Don't you love him tonight? Well, I don't know what to do. Glory to God. I could like, I, you realize God just could flow all night and just keep ministering to people because God loves people, you know? And yet, on the other hand, there's this burden to discharge the word of the Lord that God's given. So, so um, Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. But you know, even when God's ministering to an individual, I trust you understand that you can receive too. Like when I was ministering to the brother back there, I hope many of you were realizing how God sees you. God sees us through the eyes of divine potential. He knows what he can make us to be. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I mean, it really is. It's amazing what God can do with a human life when it's surrendered into his hands. It's tremendous. Now, in Matthew 14, we have the story of what has been uh, called the feeding of the 5,000. Well, uh, in actual fact, it was 5,000 men plus women and children. And so it's more likely to have been 15 to 20,000. And last night, uh, we were talking about what led up to that incredible miracle taking place. And what led up to that incredible miracle taking place, uh, without getting into detail because of time's sake tonight, but we find that uh, Jesus had just been told that his dearest friend, his, uh, in some ways even his mentor, because, uh, and the one that he esteemed, by his own words, Jesus said, esteemed him more than any other, was John the Baptist. And, and they'd grown up together, they'd played together, they were cousins, and then John had been the one that had water baptized. Jesus and ushered him into his ministry. He loved this man and this man had just been taken and cruelly murdered and beheaded and they just told Jesus and in his anguish and his grief of spirit uh, and the Mark 6 says he is also exhausted because he'd been ministering all day. So in his exhaustion, his weariness and his grief of spirit, he says, get me out of this place. I want to go somewhere where there's nobody. Get me into a place so I can be on my own. Get me out of here. And in that place, he was faced with a choice. Because as he looked up, the crowd had followed him. Instead of being on his own when he, could have, when he desperately needed it, there was 15,000 people out there. And many of them were sick. And Jesus was faced with a choice. And the choice that he took was, the Bible says, he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. And last night we spoke about the compassion of God. And because I know that God wants to raise up this church to be a declaration of the supernatural... That's what God spoke to me. I know nothing about you as a church, but I know this, that God spoke to me in Melbourne and says, I want a supernatural people living a supernatural life that will declare a supernatural Christ. 
The tragedy is that the church in this nation has lost its supernaturalism. It has lost its miraculous essence. And once we lose the supernatural, we may as well be a Buddhist. Dead wood, why not worship stone if it is not alive? If you're worshiping a Jesus, then worship one that's alive. And if he's alive, then the person of the Holy Spirit is inside of you to exalt him and to express him and to make him known in this city and in this region and in this nation. And you cannot express a supernatural Christ by living naturally. You have to live a supernatural life to express a supernatural Christ. And so we covered some of that last night, but I want to say to you tonight that the, if when you take a look at the supernatural acts of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, you see what preceded each of them, and it was the fact that he was moved with compassion. Whether, when he healed the lepers, first he felt compassion for them. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, first of all he wept for Lazarus. When he fed the, uh, the, the thousands, first he was moved with compassion for them. And we said last night that if you want the miraculous flowing in your life, then cry out to God, not for the miracles, cry out to God for some compassion. When you can weep for the people in the street... When you can read the newspaper and see some family that's been devastated and go aside in your room and get down on your knees and cry out to God for them. Miracles are just around the corner, really. Because God knows He can trust you with one or two. The church is full of ego-hunting gift-mongers that love to have miracles so that people know they're on the planet and we can have a sensational gathering. And Jesus has just had enough of it. Jesus wants to raise up a church to reflect who He is. The miracles of Jesus came out of the compassion of Jesus. And so that was our preparatory statement last night. And now as we continue in the story... We're going to move on, and as we're just reading through the story, I want God just to speak into the DNA of the church. Is that okay? Last night, God hammered compassion because He wanted that in the part of the DNA of this body, in this city, and in this region. But not only in the city and in this region. No, because... Because one of the unique little things about the ministry of this house and yours in particular is the is the is the cry for help. You remember yesterday morning? It sounds like three or four days ago. But yesterday morning, uh, I, um, I can't believe it. Yesterday, uh, I, um, I spoke about the digger of wells. Well, just then as I began as preaching, I, I suddenly saw a flash of a scene. And it looked to me like it was in Asia, a kind of Asian scene. And I, I, and I saw a, a, a cry for help. Just a, just a begging for help came. But it came from a very uh, insignificant, small uh, situation um, which many people would have just completely uh, glossed over and would have nothing to do with. But this is the phrase that God gave me. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. And, and as you go to that insignificant place with that insignificant individual inviting you, against all logic you go, but as you minister into a mic, an apostle is born. Now, I'm not being dramatic for dramatic's sake, but I saw him over a period of about 10 years reaping the harvest in his nation in a, in a very notable manner. But, but there was a moment 
when it could have gone either way, he could have just chucked the whole thing in and quit and failed in, in absolute discouragement and despair. But you heard the call and you went against all logic. And in that moment, God used to raise him up. Where was I? Matthew 14. And, and so, where was I? I have no idea. That's great. Good to not have no idea. When the, us Irish, it's not hard to have no idea. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I, I actually, I, 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 went, I went back home for the first time uh, uh, about nine years ago to Ireland. Margaret and I did, and I tell you, it was a buzz. They are the, they are the greatest people, I tell you. They are the most, don't believe all that stupid nonsense on the TV that you see about them. I'm telling you now, they're the biggest, backslapping, funniest, happiest, most hospitality people. Total strangers will ask you in for a cup of tea, and it was fun. The whole thing was so much fun. But I have to admit something. I now know why there's so many Irish jokes <laughs> they're all true <laughs> they're all true and the one thing you never do in that country is ask for directions <laughs> it's amazing everything's got to be a joke everything's got to be a joke I mean how hard can some things be right, yeah, right. you come out of, I came out just imagine this Come onto the footpath. Do you know where the post office is? Aye. Would you show me where the post office is? Aye. Now, could I go to the post office? Can you show me the directions to the post office? Aye. You go down to the corner. And you take a right. And you go for about a block. And you take a right. And you go for about a block. And you take a right. But, 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 but that would bring me right back here. Oi. And that's the post office across the road. I'm telling you, for a, for a Melbourne city man now who, who, who burns rubber to get from A to B, God put me in that place for eight days and taught me more about patience than I'd had in my entire life. I, I grinned back to my digs every night and said, dear God, ease up, all right? This is killing me. Ah, glory. Matthew 14. Compassion motivates to action. That's where we finished last night. Now we need to continue with the story. Matthew 14, 15. Everybody alive? Alert? Can you run for about 40 minutes? Mixture there. Okay. Matthew 14:15 when it was evening his disciples came to him saying this is a deserted place and the hour is already late send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food friends firstly it was a deserted place now it was deserted because it was a dry, barren, dusty, dirty hunk, a desert. It was barren because nobody wanted to be there. It was deserted. There was no food there. There was no provision there. There were no utilities there. There was no opportunities there. There was nothing there. Nobody wanted to be there. The only reason that 15,000 turned up was because they wanted a miracle from Jesus, okay? It was a deserted place. But that's where Jesus was, in the deserted place. Jesus was to be found in the deserted place. Because in his grief and misery, that's where he had taken himself. Now friends, listen to me carefully. Deserted places are lonely places. 
where the encouragement of others and the support of friends and relatives just seem that little bit out of reach. And we have all known such times, times when you feel that, quite frankly, you and God are the only two people left on the planet and friends has got nothing to do with numbers of people that are around you. Sometimes you can be surrounded by a multitude of people, people that need ministered to, people that need something from you, people, that people, 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 and you can still be desperately alone because loneliness is a thing of the spirit. It's, a, it's an attitude of the heart. It's an internal condition. And this was a deserted place. Friends, deserted places can mean different things to different people. For Elijah in 1 Kings 19, it was a place of despair and discouragement. But for other people, it is a place, listen to me, of opportunity. Where we hit our knees and our desperation, our cry and our thirst and our hunger and our dryness, and we call out to God, and God answers, and we are met with the miraculous. And for us in this story, this deserted place was the one chosen by God for miraculous visitation. Now, I want to say this. Redeem your deserted places. Twenty-odd years ago, Margaret and I went through what we called the dark night of the soul. Everything we had built in 15 years of ministry got shattered and blown to pieces because of the betrayal of a friend And over 14 months, we lost everything we had built in God in 15 years. We had the largest building program south of Auckland City. We had a thriving church at a time when when a, a large church was 150 or 200. We had 400 people. We had a great Christian school. Everything we had was touched to gold, and it was wonderful. And in 14 months, I'm telling you, the whole thing came shattering down around us, and we lost the building. We lost the property. We lost the school. We lost half of our congregation. We, Margaret and I lost our home, and in 14 months less, we had nothing but a pile of rubble and I was sitting in the middle of it wondering what had happened to my life it was a deserted place but let me tell you something I've spent the last 20 years ministering into pastors and leaders in the last few years probably 70% of my years spent speaking in the lives of pastors and leaders and I'll tell you something I draw more out of what God told me in those 14 months than the previous 15 years of so called great success and it became a crash course on the pain and the, and the challenges that pastoral people face in times of extremity and betrayal and situations in churches. And you see, the fact is, I didn't know back then the types of people that I was going to be ministering today, but God did. And before you can be a proclaimer of the message, you must become the message. And whatever deserted place you're in right now, There's something, there's a pregnancy in there. There's a potential in there. If you'll get your eyes off the circumstances and your eyes onto God and saying, God, why am I here? If the steps of a righteous person are ordered by God, then I am not in here by accident. I'm not in here by the will of man. If I have got my heart of integrity and I love God and I love people, I've got a pure heart, then something about this deserted place can empower me for the rest of my life. If I can but find it, God show me what's in my deserted place. Nearly just on about 19 years ago, we went out, left the pastoral ministry. Um, God graciously revived the church and brought it back to great blessing. And uh, then we handed it over to our senior associate, who's still the pastor there, Brother Mike and Joy, know him well, and Jim Shaw, pastoring in Manjuria. And, and we went out in the prophetic apostolic ministry, and, uh, but as self-supporting itinerants. Now, I don't know whether you know what that really means. But, but what it used to mean, thank God it doesn't today, but what it used to mean 19 years ago was meetings versus means eatings. No meaty, no eaty. 
Um, it meant that, that, that the only way you stayed alive was pumping out meetings like as many of them as you could get. Okay, and and so for after about 12, 15 months of being a self-supporting itinerant, pumping out meetings like you wouldn't believe. When I say meetings, I mean over 500 a year in my first year. And I came down with coronary artery disease and burnout. And I was out of the ministry for 10 months. I couldn't minister for 10 months. That means I couldn't speak at a meeting for 10 months. That means I didn't have any income for 10 months. And I didn't have any churches supporting us. Are you getting the drift here? But friends, listen to me. I banked more money in that 10 months than I had in the previous 10 months when I was slugging my insides out because God miraculously supplied it. And we, every day, we were, it was outright embarrassing how much money turned up. That every day in the mail, them just bundles of booty. It was amazing. And, 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 and People, churches that I'd only been to once in my life in the middle of Singapore, woke up in the morning and God spoke to them sovereignly by the Holy Ghost. I take up an offering and the pastor actually flies to New Zealand to bring it to me in person, for goodness sake. I had all sorts of weird stuff. There was another pastor who, who he and I could never see eye to eye. In fact, when we, even when we were in the same room together, we'd grate on each other even if we never talked. You know what I mean? It was really, he was the most obnoxious person. And, 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 <laughs> And he, he thought the same about me. And, and God spoke to him by the Holy Ghost. And 19 years ago, 500 bucks was a lot of money. And he came in the door with 500 bucks, stuck it on the table. And he says, the God spoke to me. And I'm just staring like that. Do you know what I actually thought when he drove down the driveway? When Margaret said who it was coming down my driveway? I says, oh God. You don't think I'm sick enough now you want to finish me off? Um, you know, and, 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 and he came through the door and he put 500 bucks on the table and he said that will be there the first of every month for as long as it takes to get you back on your feet. All sorts of bizarre stuff happened. And one day, about seven months into it, I'm opening the mail again and money's pouring all out of them. I says, oh God, this is good stuff. And, 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 and the Lord just said to me, but do you get the point? Do you get the point? I said, yes, Lord, I'm really getting the point. I don't depend on meetings. And I don't depend on churches. And I don't depend on all of these things. My God, you're my source of supply and you only. And you know what? He freed me up that day and Margaret and I have never had a... I'm not exaggerating, not even slightly exaggerating... Margaret and I have never had one second, not one second, not 1.1 of a one second moment of concern about finances ever since. It just evaporated. And, and you know what? It was a deserted place. It was a deserted place. Burnout, coronary heart disease. Who wants that kind of stuff? But in it I found my provider. And out of it, I also wrote a book called God's Emerging Leadership that touched several nations of the earth. Seven years ago, they wrote me off. I had 11 years without anything, and then seven years ago, all sorts of chest pains and all sorts of stuff hit, and, and, and the doctors had me in, and they, and they said, well, that's it, you're cooked. Well, I mean, he said it nicely, but... How nicely can you say that, you know? And they said, all your major arteries and most of your subsidiary arteries are multiply blocked. We can't do angioplasty on you. It'll kill you. We can't do bypass on you because there's nothing to bypass from or to. You are a mess. Okay. Take what is left of your miserably short little life and go sit in the chair. But whatever you do, don't get excited. And don't do anything. Now that was a deserted place. And I came home and I said, oh God. Isn't it amazing how, how you don't have time nor the inclination to be religious at a time like that? <laughs> Prayers get simple. God help! 
But God gave me a word, and I don't have time to get into that word now because it was awesome. But you say, what good could come out of that? I'll tell you what good came out of that, friends. Listen to me. God spoke to me one morning. He said, you live. No, he said, you fight or you die. Make up your mind. You've been preaching about the authority and dominion of the kingdom for years. Now I'm going to show you how it works. And over a period of days, God began to unfold principles to me, which totally transformed my life. And let me tell you something. I have had the best seven years of my life since that day to this. I've traveled the world. I've preached up to five times a day in the middle of Africa and in India and my Amna. I, 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 on one occasion, I was taking a pass. Oh, this is a cute, cool. I, I was taking a pass this thing in Perth. And there's... And, and this cardiologist man, this professor of cardiologist, dignified dude, came up to me because he'd heard my testimony. And he says, I don't mean to doubt you at all. But he said, could you tell me what your condition really is? And I told him what it was. And he said, but I don't understand. I said, why? He says, well, your mobility should be panting. I mean, really finding it difficult to get those stairs. And he pointed about four or five stairs. And I turned around. I couldn't resist it. And big glass windows in this in this place that we were meeting in, and the big mountains up behind it. Uh, no, not Perth, Adelaide, Adelaide, and the Adelaide Hills right up behind it. And I said to him, "Well, actually, I went up to the top of those and back before breakfast this morning for exercise." And he looked at me like this. He said, "You couldn't do that. You'd be dead." I said, "Well, I did do it, didn't I? Before breakfast, you know." And, and I have no symptoms. I have no symptoms, I have no angina, I have no indication the slightest thing is wrong with me, but every day I know the Holy Ghost keeps me alive for a purpose. And you say, what good could come out of something like that? Well, I'm telling you what, there's, and I'm not exaggerating, there are a few thousand people that have gone through my seminar now on overcomers born to rule who had their lives completely and radically changed because of that event in my life seven years ago. Now, friends, what's in your deserted place? When you get into a deserted place, when you get into a situation where all the contradictions seem to go against the call and what God's put in your heart to do, and it seems like a cancellation of the dream, then wake up. It's not a cancellation of the dream. It's a stepping stone in its process of fulfillment. The steps of a righteous person are ordered. So it was in a deserted place. What else can we get from verse 15? Ooh, I've got to be careful of my time. But what else can you get from verse 15? Well, it said it's a deserted place. And what was the next statement? And the hour is already too late. In other words, it's too late to do anything about it. Send them back into villages. It's going to be dark by the time they get there anyhow. And let them at least have something to eat. Question, question, listen carefully. Why, why did Jesus, why was Jesus unreasonable about this? It was, it was just too late. Why did he leave it that late? When he knew that his disciples simply didn't have time to go into the village and get food and bring it back for the crowd. Friends, Listen very carefully, and there's something of a prophetic thing in this, Michael, for, for what's coming up. Because God knew that human instinct never varies. It always looks for a human solution first. But God didn't want a human solution you see, if he had told them in time, if he had been more reasonable about it, then they would have had time to organize something. They would have had time to, to send a team in, get some food, or they would have had time to take up an offering and go find some food, or to do some fishing, or to do something. They could have found a solution if Jesus had just been more reasonable about the time he asked them to do something. But you see, Jesus didn't want to be reasonable. He didn't want to be logical. He didn't want them to find a human solution. He wanted a miraculous solution. 
God wants to be God. Now listen, friends, don't get offended by me, but something mystifies me. I'm staggered by the fact that I go around situations and legion, paths and churches and things, and they say, oh, that we would love to see the miraculous. Oh, we want to live a miraculous life. Yes, we all want to live a miraculous life. I ask ten people, and ten out of ten would say, oh, yeah, me too. Yes, please. Yes, please. Then what? Why I can't, what I can't understand is, if we really want to live a miraculous life, then why do we spend our entire life building us around us so many man-made and human security systems so that, we, that we'll never be in a position where we'll need God in the first place? We say we want a miracle, but we don't ever be in a position where a miracle is necessary. Now, we went to a restaurant today uh, and lovely ocean out there and all that, water. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I'd like you to be reasonably honest about it, please. How many here would like to walk on water at least once before you go to glory? Come on, you bunch of chickens. Let me see. How many want to walk on water? Come on, just once. Why should McCain's Pizza have it all, right? Well, of course you want to walk on water. Everybody does. But you see, that wasn't the question, really. That's never been the question. The real question is, how many want to get out of the boat? Because us Irish are smart. We've worked it out. You can't walk on water while you're still in the boat. But everybody wants to. Everybody wants to have the miraculous testimony of how God gloriously supplied and it was just a miracle. It couldn't have been done. I mean, it's amazing, incredible stuff. Everybody wants a miraculous testimony, but nobody wants to be in a position where that miraculous testimony is actually necessary. So, so when God asks us to do something, what do we do? It's automatic instinct. We look for the human solution. We look and see what kind of chess pieces we can work around. We look find and what we're, uh, things we can organize and who can we get to do what and, and how can we orchestrate this and what bank can get involved and what da, 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 and we go through all those human solutions. But if we're serious about wanting a miracle, and God knows that we are, if we are, then what is His grace going to do? His grace is going to cause every human solution to be cut off from you so there isn't any human solution. And in that moment when there's no human possibility of a solution, most Christians turn around and say, God, why have you forsaken me? Dear God, why have you let this happen? This is not fair. If you're God, why is it? And God just shaking his head. He says, but, but, but you asked me to. You asked me to. You said you wanted a miraculous life. You said you wanted a testimony. You wanted to be able to say, God, miraculously done this for me. And if it's a human solution, God will hack it off so that he becomes the only possible solution. Friends, listen to me. I'll say this tomorrow night. But, but I've I got to say it twice will be good. There are times when God wants you to act in obedience. That's always, always his aim. But there are times when God wants you to act beyond obedience. And that is a kind of faith which believes God to do what man could never do. And I haven't got another three hours here tonight to tell you, but over the last few years, it's been one exciting journey for Margaret and I. The things that God has asked us to do aren't anything that we could do. They're, they're beyond human solution. And there's no way we could have manipulated them either. And it's outright scary, but I don't want to ever go back living any other way. Now, we better... Ooh, what time am I, I... My time's just about almost gone. And I'm getting into stride here. Are we all right? Okay, okay. Now, verse 16. Jesus said to them, uh, said to his disciples... Uh, these people do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. 
Now, I want you to see this very, very carefully. Okay? Because I've heard people preach on this many, many times, and I've preached on it many, many times, and I don't think I've preached it once correctly. Because we always say, what was Jesus' response to the problem? Well, the little boy's lunch was Jesus' answer to the solution. That's the way he was going to have his miracle. No, no, that was second choice. That was second choice. First choice, Jesus actually never said, bring the bread and the fish to me. His first response was, you give them something to eat. He said, they do not need to go hungry. You give them something to eat. So he declares his will. What's his will? That they do not go hungry. And so there was no confusion about his will in this situation. They knew what the will of God was. And that's important. I'm not being silly about this tonight. You need to know the will of God. But they knew the will of God. These do not need to go hungry. You give them something to eat. And what was the expectation of Jesus at that moment? Now, I know the the, the disciples were about to experience an incredible miracle, but I tell you what, what Jesus was offering them was a far greater miracle than that which they ended up experiencing. He said, you give them something to eat. And what was he mean by that? He meant that, and listen, I am absolutely convinced that I've prayed of it and prayed it and prayed it, and I know God has confirmed it to my spirit, that in that moment, whatever Holy Ghost-given initiative that they had come up with, God Almighty would have backed it up. If they had turned around to the sky and said, rain down quails the size of turkeys, and let them sit up and say, cook me, cook me, then that is exactly what would have taken place. If they commanded the rocks to turn to bread, they'd have turned to bread. Because the will of God had already been established. These do not need to go to hunger. You feed them. And God was offering, you listen carefully to this, God was offering them not only an opportunity to increase in their faith, but actually to increase in their authority, to increase in the area of their own Holy Ghost-driven initiative. And God wants us to begin to... See, who was He speaking to? Acquaintances? No, he was speaking to knit heart friends that were in intimate relationship with him. Let me tell you something, and I do qualify it with that. If you are somebody that is living in intimacy with his heart, if you're not, then that's different. But if you are living in intimacy with God's heart, you're a man or woman of prayer and intimacy with the Father's heart, and you live a pure life and you love your brethren, etc., and you know in your heart of hearts that you've only got one passion in this life, and that is to serve the King of kings and the Lord of glory. If you know that inside of you, let me tell you something. There's going to be moments when God is going to declare his will to you and then say, Now go ahead, initiate, and see what I can do. And I am utterly convinced that many, 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 many times when individuals and churches are sitting in their saying, God, do something. God is hollering back from the heavens. No, you do something. I've already told you what I want. Now you do something. You initiate. You make some declarations. You take some spiritual authority. And I'll back you up. Why? Why? Because God is training you for eternity. You are going to rule and reign with Him for eternity. And if we can't take authority and dominion today in this little temporal world we're part of right now and take some Holy Ghost initiatives and make some Holy Ghost commands and take some... What on earth are we going to do trying to rule planets and creations in the eternities to come? I don't know about you, but when I slide into eternity, I ain't going to be floating on some cloud plunk in the harp. 
The Bible says, I will be his witness for the creations to come. I will rule and reign with my God for eternity. What do you think this is on down here? This is your training ground. This is your qualificational round down here. People tell me, oh, yeah, but when I go into the millennium, you know, God's going to give us all authority and rulership over cities and stuff. Well, I don't know which Bible you're reading. Because my Bible makes it real clear to me. And listen to me. There is no promotion the other side of the grave. What authority you have now, you carry with you for eternity. So you better stretch your muscles and get some. So anyways, they didn't come up with anything. So Jesus was incredibly gracious, isn't he? He probably thought, oh dear God, they've done it again. But anyway, he, he, he then thought, well, at least let's give them a real great exercise of faith. And so a little boy comes up with a solution. Isn't that just so brilliant? Isn't it? You know, here's the 12 apostles to be. And they couldn't come up with a solution. But a seven-year-old kid comes up and says, come on, guys, get your act together. Here's the lunch. You know, and he's got five loaves and two fishes. Now, now I, I, I don't know whether you heard about this guy in the United States some years ago, and he, he got this book together uh, trying to disprove the, the miracles of Jesus, and he got to this one, and he, and he said, you know, this was not such a great miracle. And he said, because the, the, the five loaves were humongous. And he said, the fish... Weren't fish, they were whales. (laughs) Now I don't know about you, but I thought to myself, that's a greater miracle than before. Because somehow, a seven-year-old kid is going to eat 20 truckloads of bread and two whales for lunch. Can't you just imagine his mother looking out the kitchen window? Fourteen ox carts going past. Johnny, Johnny, what's the fourteen ox carts? Oh, it's me lunch, Mum. It's me lunch. I think if some kid was carrying it around for lunch, there were five very small little rolls and two very, very little fishies. And then his Bible says that Jesus got hold of it Oh, you better plug into me now. You're right away, can't you? You can run for a little while longer, can't you? Every say, yes, amen. Okay. Aren't you glad I don't still pastor a church? (laughs) And you're not in it? Okay. See, what happened later? Jesus took a hold of the bread and fish. The Bible says he blessed it. Now, now, you've got to understand what he said and what he didn't. He didn't say grace. When he said he, he blessed it, he said that he, the word there in the Greek implies that he spoke into it. He imparted to it. And so he took the bread and the fish and he spoke to the bread and the fish. He imparted something into the bread and the fish. He was blessing the bread and the fish. If you read it in the original, it's quite clear. It's something oozed out of him. He, he spoke creatively into the life of the bread and the fish. And I want to say something to you, really, and I, I, I mean this. When God gives you a word, please hear this. And for some of your big challenges of faith over the next decade or so in this church, and you've got a couple of big ones coming up, let me tell you something. When God gives a word and it is received by faith, that word has its own power of creation lying within it. The word itself can create what God sent it to do. 
Two and a half years ago, God spoke a creative word into me when I was in the middle of Africa and showed me a property with, with a, a beautiful home on it, a mentoring center on it for pastors and, a, and a, a, a cottage and stuff on it for offices and all sorts of stuff and, and worth mega bucks. And, and it was, you, look, it was Star Wars, okay? I, I mean, there's no possibility whatsoever on planet Earth of us ever getting anything like it. But God spoke it to me. And I, at 4.31 moment, I knew God had just showed me a vision of this place. And I said, God, it's ours, isn't it? He said, yes, it is. And the moment I accepted it as a reality, the word itself had a creative power to bring it into being. We shifted in on it on January, and we've had the first seven months on property, and it's pretty well awesome. And I done nothing to get there, okay? God just did the whole thing. And I just want to tell you something. There's something creative about a word from God if you allow it to take root in your spirit. But, <laughs> he spoke creatively to bread and fish. So now the bread and fish have the power to feed thousands of people. But friends, listen carefully to me as I work towards the eventual possibility of a probable close. <laughs> Lost on some of you. Okay. Um, now I will close. But, but I want you to get a hold of something. Because it was still, it was spoken to creatively. It now had a supernatural potential of fulfillment lying within. But when he broke it to the twelve disciples... It was still five little loaves and two little fishes. Now, I want you to get a hold of this. I'm looking around for something to demonstrate this with, because it would be great to demonstrate it, but I can't see anything to demonstrate it with. And that's pity, because it would be great to demonstrate it if I could demonstrate it, but I can't, because I can't find anything to demonstrate it with. But anyway, it would be good if I could demonstrate it somehow. Anyhow, okay. I want you to imagine... Come here. Okay, here's one, of, here's one of the disciples now, okay? Now, there's your basket. Now, I want you, that's not very good because the, 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 you've probably seen them in films and stuff like that. And the actual uh, wicker basket was about three times the size of it. They're like this, okay? The, the, the common basket for carrying food, I still use them today over there, about this size here. And I want you to imagine something about that size there, Okay? Now, what Jesus has got is five little rolls, little rolls, you know, sort of thing, soup rolls, lengthy, and two little fishies, little boy's lunch. And there's 12 of these dudes, and each one of them has got a basket the size of this. So Jesus comes up to them, and he breaks off a little few crumbs of bread, sticks it in the middle, breaks off a few little bit of the fishy, sticks it in the middle, and somehow he spread... Five little rolls and two little fishies between 12 baskets. So the amount that's actually in there is crumbs, man. It's crumbs. Okay, there's a thumping great basket and there's a few crumbs in the middle of it. And then Jesus says to his 